Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. It's nice to see that there is a little bit of spring in the air over in this very frigid, cold moonscape I call home. How are things over there? Is that what Canada is? A frigid, cold moonscape? Things tend to get turned into like kind of a, a real like bleak moonscape around February where there's just perpetual flurries and snowbanks everywhere and that's finally starting to dissipate and we're starting to see some hope it's been one year since the pandemic nadia i was just saying on twitter i cannot believe that the u.s canada border has been shut down tight for a year because i remember when it shut down for a day on 9-11 and that was just that was a worth a freak out of its own because it was just inconceivable to even consider Thoughts and prayers to our good friend, Bob Mackey, who's been trying to get to Canada for the past year and just had a hard time of it. Poor guy. Talk about bad timing. I understand what he's going through, having, you know, a, an American husband who is an expat and we had to go through the whole rigmarole. And uh, things have definitely changed since then. But the addition of a pandemic does not help matters. I'm glad he at least got to go and visit his uh, fiance, which is nice. That is nice. So Nadia, let's talk about RPGs. This week, we are going to be talking about action RPGs. It's a topic that's come up a time or two on this podcast, but as we head into the next generation and with action adventure RPGs being so dominant, I think it's worth talking about what we want to see out of action RPGs, what makes a good action RPG, what makes a bad action RPG, and how they can retain the spirit of the genre we love while also, you know, hooking in all those mainstream people who are just discovering why RPGs are so great. Before we get to that, a little bit of housekeeping. If you enjoy the podcast, thank you very much. Please go ahead and leave us a review over on the podcatcher of your choice. We always enjoy seeing a positive words of encouragement on our favorite podcatcher. And hey, also, it improves the visibility of Acts of the Blood God. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. I stream on Twitch sometimes at twitch.tv slash TV, And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. We've been doing March Madness, which has been available to our Discord users. That's available to people for just $1. We also recently recorded a 35th anniversary tribute to The Legend of Zelda that was available exclusively to our $5 patrons and up, and we had a great time with that one, didn't we, Nadia? We did. I really enjoyed talking about that. I love just going back and talking forever about old games I grew up with, especially the ones that mean so much to me, like Zelda does. We Yeah, that was a really nice discussion. I would uh, absolutely recommend that you go ahead and... Uh, Listen to that, because not only will you get a good podcast, you will also support us, and we appreciate that. We do appreciate it indeed, and of course at our $10 level is the Pantheon of the Blood God, and this month's subject is System Shock 2, the special guest. It's going to be a lot of fun. Finally, Nadia, next week is our 300th episode Ooh. of Acts of the Blood God, and we are going to celebrate with a live recording with the community we're going to get everybody together on the Discord and uh, on a private stream on Twitch. And we will record. We'll take questions. And the topic is going to be RPG pioneers. I salute to the RPG pioneers that we talk about the best RPGs a lot, but we, didn't talk, we don't always talk about the ones that 
started it all as it were so yes we'll be talking about the original dragon quest don't worry nadia (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is definitely my forte and it's something to keep in mind is that yes as you said we are talking not about the best but the pioneers because i will stand in front of the throne of god and say dragon quest is extremely important but is it the best is it like still a great game i would argue you were a lot better off playing practically any other dragon quest but we are here to talk about the ones that started it all, which is extremely important. Is Dragon Quest three more significant, you would argue, than Dragon Quest one? Because I feel like Dragon Quest three is when the series just truly became a bedrock institution in Japan. Yes, I think you're onto something there. That is definitely when it really lit up in the Japanese community to the point that even the Western news was reporting about the lineup for the game and how people skip work in school to go get it. Uh, salute to all of you and I, I don't know if the Final Fantasy 3 introduced the job system before Dragon Quest 3 I mean I'll, I'll definitely argue that Final Fantasy 3's job system was a little more elaborate but Dragon Quest 3's was extremely um, simple as it was it was extremely significant not to mention it's just a much better game overall than the original Dragon Quest it, it's huge it's still a good game worth playing and there's a lot of stuff in there like that for example uh taking in uh taking on people like uh, making your own parties and and recruiting people at the pub stuff that became staples of not just dragon quest but also just fantasy in general we will be recording our episode next week thursday at 4 p.m pacific 7 p.m eastern so if you come over to our discord you'll get all the info there and you'll be able to watch live for just one dollar yeah you can't go wrong Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to the RPG news. First, let us start on a somewhat somber note. Recently, there has been a lot of violence against Asian American and Pacific Island communities, including a particularly horrific event that happened just last week. Companies including Sony Interactive Entertainment and Namco Bandai have released statements regarding the recent rise in anti-Asian violence with Namco Bandai pointing out specifically that, you know, they're a Japanese company, so they really abhor that. And the PlayStation tweet note that they were donating to stop uh, Asian Pacific Islander hate, while Namco Bandai's tweet linked to some informational resources, including Stop Asian Hate, Anti-Asian Violence Resources, and Stop AAPI Hate. Racism and other forms of bigotry is not a political issue. It is a human rights issue. Access of the Blood Gods firmly stands behind Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, there is no room for racism, discrimination, homophobia, anything like that in this community. I mean, the older I get, the more chill I become, frankly. And I'm just tired of seeing anyone get picked on for their race, their religion, their their uh, orientation. And it's extremely important, especially to uh, support Asian people in this really difficult time, because there has been a lot of discussion lately about how Asians are held up as a quote unquote model minority, which really tears down what it's like to be an Asian American, because it ignores the fact that many Asians do live in poverty. They do have problems. They do have stuff that are way outside the stereotype and they need our support and we should be giving them our support, especially when you have randos going around beating up, uh, especially Asian elders, like how screwed up in the head do you have to be to see a, an old, an old Asian lady and, and decide you're going to harass her and hit her and and all of that? Like you, you just disgusting monster. Go, go, go drown yourself in a bog or something. <laughs> 
Just drown yourself in a bog. How specific? The darkest corner of a bog that you can find. Racism against Asian folks is particularly insidious because it doesn't get called out as much and will pop up in mainstream media. A few years ago when Jeremy Lin was in the NBA, like that was a really good example of how uh, Asian American individuals can suffer a lot of bigotry and then you also see that in a lot of communities um with a lot of kind of hate mongering against games that for example come from china so we i I think that we have to kind of be on guard against that for sure so uh thoughts with our listeners who are asian american pacific islander and asian from around the world uh we definitely support you okay Continuing on, Nadia, Disco Elysium, the final cut, is coming out on PS4, PC, and Stadia. You added, appended a little lol <laughs> to that one. Wait, come on. Stadia's dead, right? I mean, they don't ha- they've shut down all their internal development. They only have third-party games at this point. What's the point? <laughs> Stadia is very much like, do you remember Google Wave How that uh, and Google Plus? They just got shut down like very quickly. And instead of just being like absolutely shut down, they just kind of lingered in limbo for a long time and finally got like killed. And it's, that's what's happening to Stadia right now. There's no hope for it. It's, it's pretty much gone. Uh, but Disco Elysium, the final cut, will have new content when it comes out. So that will be a very exciting, a good reason to play what was our favorite RPG of 2019. Though I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be waiting for it to come out on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I am still up in the air about that. I don't know if I I don't know. I I think now is as good a time as any to play it, but I'm kind of inclined to hold on to doing a Pantheon of the Blood God uh, playthrough of Disco Elysium until like July or so. Yeah, personally, I'm not going to tell you how to run the show because you're the host, of course, but I would personally wait until it is on the Switch and therefore more accessible to more people so they can join in on the discussion. Your suggestions are noted, Nadia. <laughs> you can leave them on the floor on your way out. D&D Dark Alliance, which is coming out. It's kind of a reboot of Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Got a fresh round of previews. This is what Jeff Haddam told Polygon. All the environments are very unique looking, and we wanted to bring the Forgotten Realms to life. Icewind Dale particularly is a very harsh environment. We wanted to bring that to life, and that's partially why we got ahead of ourselves and why local co-op is not in the build at launch. We had to make a choice at some point. Do we fully realize these environments, these monsters, and make it as immersive as possible? We put the get foot on the gas on that front. No local co-op is kind of a bummer, Nadia. Yeah, I am. I will say Baldur's Gate is definitely one of my empty spots that I am working to fill in because I... I like Dungeons and Dragons. We were talking earlier about like Forgotten Realms versus versus Dragonlance. And I actually have a friend who uh, loved Icewind Dale so much that she took a trip to Iceland because she was inspired. I enjoy both Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I mean, there you go. You can't go wrong with Dungeons and Dragons. One or the other, you know, it's fine. But when they're together, whoa. Dungeons and or dragons? <laughs> Dungeons and or dragons. I don't know if you ever played uh, Tower of Doom or Shadow over Mistara, but you get... Whenever you certain a quarter to the game, you hear an announcer say Dungeons and Dragons very seriously. If he put in a bunch of quarters, he's like Dungeons, 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 Dungeons and Dragons. I was doing research into RPGs that came out in 1990, and there was a flight simulator type game that yes. came out for D&D called, I think, Dragon Strike. Dragon Strike. It seemed pretty cool. I played it. I have it on my old-ass 486 laptop, which has a big crack running up its case because someone dropped it. Yes, I played it. 
I liked it a lot. It was um, very flight sim-ish, very much based on the War of the Lands from Dragonlance, which I'm all about. You would start off with like a, a bronze dragon and no, sorry, start off with a copper dragon, I think, and then like work its way up to where riding a gold dragon. I, I would actually love to see a remake of that. Holy crap. I would hit the ceiling if he gave me like a, a modern flight sim style Dragonlance flying game. Whole, you would never see me again. I'd be gone. In any case, it's cool to see Wizards of the Coast putting more effort into Dungeons and Dragons uh, video games. I'm less excited for Dark Alliance than I am for Baldur's Gate 3, but fingers crossed that it turns out to be good. A good D&D co-op beat-em-up type game could be very welcome, I think. Yes, and credit to Wizards. Um, they are also bringing back Dragonlance, so I'm excited about that, too. Huzzah! Your favorite. Yeah, I'm actually really hoping we get some some good Dragonlance games. The only good one was the one I just mentioned, which is Dragon Strike. There was actually a version on the Nintendo, too, but I never played that one. It was top-down. I was always more of an Icewind Dale girl myself. I mean, it's funny. Did you ever, like, growing up, did you ever have the competitions between, like, you had the girls who read Sweet Valley Twins and the ones who read the Babysitter's Club? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) And we're just, like, Forgotten Realms. No, Dragonlance. Uh, I did actually read Sweet Valley Twins a lot when I was a kid, and I thought that Babysitter Club girls were ew. I didn't like either of those books. I was reading like Goosebumps and stuff. Goosebumps is pretty cool. I, I actually, for some reason, my niece gave me her collection of Goosebumps and I was just like, okay. And I read them. And I'm like, oh, these, <laughs> these books are really good. That and Animorphs. Retroactively, Animorphs, mm. like I missed it when it first came out. This is a great series. Holy crap. And it's just like the ending is so brutal. And the author, when people complain, Kay Applegate, she said, oh, you don't like the way this ended? Well, guess what? That's what happens in war. Go write your senators. Make sure we don't have war. Didn't work, but <laughs> at least you got the message out there. Substantial amount of body horror in Animorphs. There's a lot of body horror in that. Holy crap. I just remember the the passage with the ants where they got attacked by ants mm-hmm. and they almost like got kind of assimilated into the one mind. That was a very creepy book. Next item of business, Nadia. So Tetsuya Numura just did a big interview with Famitsu about Final Fantasy VII Remake. It was promptly translated into English. There was a lot of items. He said, we shouldn't expect any more DLC after the Yuffie stuff. He also says that Square is working on the roadmap for FF7R Part 2's completion. We also got some more information about Ever Crisis. So first of all, Final Fantasy VII, the first soldier, that's the Battle Royale game, Mm -hmm. is being made in hopes of maybe bringing more people over to the Final Fantasy universe. And Onumura admits it's just a popular genre right now, which I guess. I wonder if Square just stepped on his throne and said, Battle Royale, make it. And it's a weird choice because, yes, Battle Royale is very popular, but I feel like it has its niche. In the West, you're going to get mostly kids playing Fortnite. And elsewhere, especially in Asian territories, it's uh, PUBG, which is still extremely popular. So I don't know where Square is going to fit into this whole thing. I'm sure it's going to be bad and that everybody will forget <laughs> about it very, very quickly. Which is a shame in a way because I like the idea of just hey, you want to join Soldier? Well, you better go kill these other candidates and then you win. That's um, that's a hell of a recruitment campaign. Here's an idea. Just make an RPG. Don't, yeah, don't try yeah. to make a battle royale. It's not going to go well. I do kind of like the idea of just having an RPG where you, are, where you are the character in the game and you have to join Soldier and meet the other characters through that perspective like Zack and Sephiroth and see events from that angle. 
Well, Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, that would be the mobile version of FF7 Remake that includes Before Crisis, Crisis Core, Dirge of Cerberus, etc. will be a chapter-based, free-to-play gotcha game because, quote, God hates us all, according to Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a little, a little bit of hyperbole there. Uh, yes, what we are looking at is a chapter-based, free-to-play game that will apparently support itself through costumes and rare weapons and that kind of thing and all the nonsense all the nonsense and i guess it's like the final fantasy 15 mobile quote-unquote demake Mm -hmm. i don't know what you'd call that although i I thought that you paid for that and there was no in-app purchases but it's been so long since i played it i i still want to play this this horrible thing that's going to break my heart but i'd really want it to come onto switch i don't want to deal with playing it on mobile i mean if the final fantasy 15 demake came on switch i think they'd bring it eventually but i don't know what they're up to i just feel like the compilation of final fantasy 7 was such a hit and miss thing to begin with maybe don't screw with it maybe let it lie where it lies especially since you're bringing back crisis core the only good part of the whole thing let everything else fester in the trash i don't care but square's gonna square you don't like dirge of cerberus I never played it, but I did like kind of lean in on a friend of mine who was playing it and we were just making fun of it the whole way through. It was so, so bad. Not just the gameplay, but the characterization. I think Lucretia, Sephiroth's mother, has the potential to be a really interesting character, but they, she was written so badly in that game. It was just, just nonsense from start to finish. The only good thing was Steve Blom as uh, Vincent. And finally, Nadia... A whole bunch of games are coming over to Game Pass on PC and Near Automata's one. And this is a big one. It's going to be a newer build that fixes many of the problems of the original PC version. I don't know if you remember, Nadia, the original PC version of Near Automata was really bad. It never received any patches. It was in a pretty unacceptable technical state. And you basically needed mods to be able to properly enjoy it things like ultra wide screen should work properly now various modes have been fixed so this like thank god for pc players who want to play near automata they can finally enjoy this game properly i knew that it was uh there was a lot of problems when it launched but i had no idea they had not been patching it that's kind of shameful yeah if you're gonna put a game on pc you should uh, actually support it right that's kind of a, a thing that PC players appreciate and all all shout outs to the people who sat there and modded it so that it actually could be playable because it's a fantastic game and it's a shame that it just was it was so badly ported. Sometimes Square Enix just does not care about their PC games. Look at that awful Chrono Trigger port. At least they finally got around to making that less hideous. Yeah, they can be so hit and miss. For every Final Fantasy, it seems like you're ending up with a near automata or something like that where you're just going where is the support what's the heck is going on with the technical stuff i mean we're not even talking about the avengers game which is just a freaking tire fire <laughs> of a game yeah that was a bit of a um it wasn't as a colossal spectacular meltdown as cyberpunk was but i feel like it's slow steady death fart is just undersung like it's still a steady death fart eh it just deflated it was just and that was it i i guess there's there's black panther stuff coming out now or something but who cares uh they have the hawkeye dlc that's like out now yay hawkeye hooray i don't know what to say hawkeye's claim to fame is that he's boring (laughs) 
I mean, I don't want to sit here and slander Hawkeye because I like archers. I think archers are cool, but not my first choice. I mean, I'm not a huge Marvel fan to begin with or a DC fan. I'm just very neutral on most of these characters, except I like Thor. I think that's about it. Speaking of Square Enix, uh, they had a stream just recently. As expected, they mostly focused on Western stuff. They talked about Marvel's Avengers on PS5. They talked about the new Life is Strange game. And they also talked about Project Athia, which, as you may recall, was revealed, I think, last year during a PS5 stream. Well, it has a name now, Nadia, and it is kind of a dumb name. <laughs> Forspoken. That's right. I keep forgetting. I keep I, When you said that, I said Forsworn. No, it was Forspoken. I'm never going to get that right. And we got a little bit of an introduction by the main star, Ella Belinska, who's playing the role of Frey Holland. Frey is apparently from uh, the United States or something like that, or the real world, and seems to have found herself into a fantasy world where there are dragons and things. Yeah, she her the first words out of her mouth are, is that a motherfucking dragon? That's uh, that's an introduction <laughs> that Square decided to to put on the screen. I think that it looks very pretty. I will say that much right now. Uh, kind of looks like your stock action adventure game. I hope that it has more RPG elements. Yeah, I don't know what to think about it just yet. I will say that I am pro giant dragon, so that's a good start at least. Large uh, terrain and valleys and that kind of thing. That looked pretty neat, I guess. Yeah, when they talk about her coming into the world or the world coming into our world. I almost kind of wish it was the latter because one of my favorite stories of all time is The Mist by Stephen King. And that was an incident where a, another dimension got pulled into our own. and It was absolutely terrifying. And somehow it's not quite as scary or interesting when someone goes from our world into a new world. That's actually becoming a, a trope in manga. I forget what the genre is called, but there's specifically a genre about people who die in the real world and become reincarnated in like fantasy worlds. It's, uh, it's been done. Uh, you mean like Nino Kuni 2? A little bit like that, yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about disappointments. Oh, my heart just sank. It had the president of the United States in a fantasy world for some reason. <laughs> and he was hot, and he was really he was really happy he was hot. Never mind, his world got nuked. Oh, well. <laughs> like, literally nuked, and he's like, well, my kid died. Anyway, cool. I'm in a cool fantasy world now. I have to say, the one scene in that game that made my heart skip was when he actually finally thinks about this, this family that he left behind and his dead and he sees his son and his son's eyes start melting. I was like, holy He's like, oh, crap. right, that happened. <laughs> oh, right. I have left all these people to die. I hadn't been thinking about that for a while. In any case, I will say that Forspoken, I'm never going to get that right. I'm, I'm going to always want to say it's Forspoken. What's Forspoken mean anyway? I'm always going to be, like I said, I'm always going to say Forsworn. I just know four. Let's call it the four game. Four. Four. Uh, Forspoken looks, I would say that it has the scope and the scale and the cool monsters and it looks like a PS5 game and I'm sure it'll be very good. It's coming out in 2022. I have no other thoughts based on the teaser. I look forward to seeing what the actual gameplay is. It doesn't look like it's going to be very a very deep RPG if in fact it is, which is too bad given that it's coming from Luminous Studios, which was, you know, a studio created on the back of Final Fantasy XV. So right. you were kind of hoping that, oh, maybe they would go more of an RPG directed. No. Nope. But I guess we'll see, won't we? We will see. It's not coming out until, was it 2022? So it's got time yeah. to, to, to percolate. To add more RPGs and appease the blood god. There you go. Add more RPGs. Like, shake it on there like, like salt. It looks pretty, though. I will say that much. It does. 
Okay, Nadia, before we get to the main topic, let's just quickly talk about what we have been playing. For me, it's less about what I've been playing and then what I have been watching. I am most of my way through WandaVision at this point, and I've been surprised <laughs> at how much I have enjoyed it, Nadia. I have not seen WandaVision. I am actually debating with myself, should I get Disney Plus? And the answer is probably yes. I only subscribe to Netflix, and that's Netflix is kind of half useless, especially if you live in Canada. I have a free Disney Plus subscription through my mobile phone contract. Ah, now that's a good contract. Yes. I also got ESPN Plus and Hulu. So for as long as this all lasts, I'm kind of sitting pretty. Yeah, you're doing well. And you can decide at the end whether you want to keep one or dispose of them all or whatever. I can watch all of my, my now suddenly excellent hockey team playing the hockey on ESPN Plus. Oh, is the Wild doing something good lately? The Wild have been very good, Nadia. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Kirill the Thrill. He's uh, He's been just killing it. I have not been watching the hockey, but I heard something about Justin Bieber and the Leafs and something about how Justin Bieber said something and the Leafs started failing, and I haven't made that connection yet. Well, Justin Bieber, a Leafs fan? I don't know. I, I, I just know he's Justin Bieber. I do know my brother once accosted him in the airport and forced him to take a selfie. I was going to say that that's your first problem there is if Justin Bieber is a fan of your team. Well, we're used to losing, so it's like, oh, okay, Satan, you want to be a fan of the Leafs? You may as well. doesn't matter. So, yeah, WandaVision, uh, I guess the ending might be a little bit controversial. I'm interested to see how that mm -hmm. all pans out. Mostly I've been really enjoying its tribute to network television down the years. They really nail the feeling of pretty much every era up and through to the 2010s. It's actually kind of crazy. It's very well done. I, I've been enjoying it. Especially, specifically, they do a different opening for WandaVision, like a different credit sequence for WandaVision every single, in every single era, and it's pitch perfect. What are you playing in that you can spend so much time with WandaVision <laughs> and forget about it? I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV and watching WandaVision. Okay, that makes some sense. <laughs> I uh, when I was playing Final Fantasy XIV, I beat Ifrit and I joined a grand company for the first time and swore my allegiance to Na Nanamo, my tiny queen. Oh, she isn't she adorable, little Sultana. She's adorable. I love her. There's actually a scene. Where, I mean, like she's a very serious, very st stoic kind of leader. But there is a scene where, like, you have tea with her and you're in her room and she has like little chocobo stuffy on her bed. Nadia, what have you been playing? I've been playing a lot of Bravely Default 2. I got the Beastmaster class, and I've been really slow because I've been trying to recruit every monster that I come across, and I'm not even using them. I'm just hoarding them. Beast Tamer is really good. Beast Tamer has, if, if nothing else, it has some great abilities that can just probably break the game pretty easily, like uh, MP Saver and um, Raw Power, I think it's called, which is just, holy crap, he put mm -hmm. that on like a Vanguard or something, and everyone's dead. I've had a combination raw. I've had a combination animal tamer and monk. That's a good combination. But the real broken combo is sword master and beast tamer. When you eventually get the sword master class for reasons, so that's that's a good combo. I've also been having a lot of fun playing a shield master and pa paladin. Or sorry, a shield master white mage because I turned mm. the, her basically into a paladin, so she can heal the entire party for the most part, but also block for everybody that's a uh, cool. good chunk of the time 
And then I have a ranger thief. So uh, <laughs> thief is my subclass, but ranger is my main class. And I just dish out horrendous amounts of damage with that class. It's, that it's, must it's be good. I have a, a fast character right there. I know that magic is useful, but I've found red mage kind of boring. And I didn't want to go through the trouble of combining it with uh, with the black mage. But I also know that there are more magic classes coming along there are like 24 classes to delve into in this game so yeah, with only crazy. four characters it's almost a little uh overwhelming because you're like oh but I, I want to learn all of these different classes and try all of these different combos but there aren't enough characters i need at least one more character yeah there are so many like fun combinations to experiment with i'm kind of intrigued by what did you say thief ranger like that feels like there'd be mm. a lot of overlap Yes, thief range. Well, the thing is that there are speed classes, right? right? So that really, the fact that ranger is so fast really benefits the thief's abilities because mm. he has this uh, attack called Godspeed Strike, which does a huge amount of damage uh, to enemies, and so and can really take down bosses quite quickly. So that is a good reason to pick ranger. But meanwhile, ranger has these like can specifically target different types of enemies like humans plants bugs demons that kind of thing and so they can do a fair amount of damage just against enemy mobs and that kind of thing so that's good to know uh yeah i'm having fun playing around with the abilities and everything like that i meant to say actually sorry that i missed out on beating a freak with you last night i forgive you nadia but <laughs> it was a good time we got we got through it pretty quickly ultimately yeah. so it, like if was not hard to take down but it was a very graphically cool battle i was enjoying that yeah most of the primal battles are really cool and especially one thing i really like about 14 is that or final fantasy in general actually is that the summon monsters slash icons whatever you want to call them they always have their own personalities and they usually maintain those personalities from game to game to game like ifrit is always that, that hot-headed jerk uh leviathan is always extremely proud and dangerous i mean leviathan in 15 was incredible i love that encounter so, they, yeah, they really keep that up for uh, for 14. Eventually, you'll meet Ramu, and as you expect, he's, and I'm not going to call him friendly, but he's definitely more on the level than a lot of uh, icons in that game. So, it seems like I'm making a decent amount of progress through Final Fantasy 14, A Realm Reborn, question mark? You're getting there. And you know what? One thing that I'm actually realizing now is I level up my Dark Knight, which has a fantastic quest, by the way. As I'm leveling him up, I realize... I should have left some like side quests so that I could level him up faster because I'm one of those people who see all these icons. I'm like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And I clean off the map. And now I realize, oh, I didn't have to do all those quests. <laughs> I could have just maybe done a few here and there and gone the main story quest, especially now because the main story quest is definitely engineered to to level you up faster now. Well, I'm going to keep cranking through Final Fantasy XIV, and now that I'm playing FF14 and I have hundreds of hours of content, it's a great opportunity to catch up on the new shows of the moment. There you go. Are you going to pay attention to the story at any point? I Sure. Yeah. <laughs> story. Th those people. I have my tiny little queen that I have to uh, swear my allegiance to. She kept my, captured my attention. She's pretty cool, and the way she's like, uh, Rahuban lifts her up like a little parrot. It's adorable. I guess I'll pay attention to the story when it feels like there is a story to pay attention to. So far, it's pretty pretty basic, I think. Have you met Alizé and what's his face? Alpha Node yet? You must have the obnoxious ass twins. Yes, yes, I met them. Yes, okay, they're yeah. they're people. <laughs> they're they're the ones who were talking to me when I was going around to the different ceremonies. 
Yeah, uh, they have major, major glow-ups, especially Alphanode. Alphanode learned some very hard lessons by the time Heaven's Word comes around. Well, I look forward to it. In the meantime, Nadia, let's talk about action RPGs. Hey, RPG fans, it's your friend, Cat Bailey, host of Axe of the Blood God, and I'm here to tell you about our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Every single month, we have exclusive RPG goodness for all of our listeners, including tributes to classic games, watches of shows like The Witcher, and of course, our Pantheon of the Blood God, in which we explore classic RPGs from Final Fantasy VIII to Skies of Arcadia. Here's a glimpse of what you have been missing. Sword isn't my favorite game in the series, not by a long shot, but it has a lot of great temples. And the name of this one escapes me, maybe you guys can help. Um, so it's a water-based temple, but when you go down underground, there's this undead labyrinth. And it's such a great contrast between like the, the, the heavens and the hell. And it's, it's just, it's like no other Zelda dungeon I've played through before. Um, the, 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 the puzzles are clever. It feels like an adventure. Like it, it's it, it's less than just going through room to room. It's more of just a, a big puzzle box that kind of fits all into one hole. Uh, it's the ancient. I can't remember the name of it. I know what you mean in that, like uh, with uh, Scoured Swords dungeons being somehow so memorable yet so forgettable. It's the strangest thing because I'm thinking of not just that dungeon, but also there was one that. You have a time orb, and you're sailing through a, a yes. sea of sand, and you have like a, a radius around it where you can see the past, or there was the future, one or the other. And so you're sailing on water and seeing like a lush forest around you while you're going through this wasteland, and that's part of this the puzzle that's involved. And there were just such... I'm actually really excited to revisit those dungeons, because I feel like we, we did get wrapped up in how linear Skyward Sword is, and the, the motion controls aren't great. And at the same time, we missed out on really praising some dungeons that deserved it. Yeah. They were really elaborate. They were. They were. There, there was one puzzle in, in, in the one that you're describing, the sand shifting one. There's one I really yes. liked where there's this one room where like, it kind of breaks the rules of how dungeons are meant to work because there's this ceiling um, that just has these little grates in there. And what you're meant to do is you're meant to shoot an arrow through the grate into another dungeon room and hit a time crystal within the boundaries of that other room. So you're breaking the loading zone, which is something like you're not really taught to ever do. So when you when yes. that moment clicks with you, it's just like, whoa, this is this is really clever. That was a special look at some of our patron exclusive content. If you want to hear more, head on over to patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Now, back to the episode. week's main topic nadia what makes a good action rpg and the reason i'm bringing this up is first of all there are a ton of action rp action adventure rpg things happening this <laughs> things. generation because everybody wants to be the new witcher 3 and or dark souls and also because nadia i've accepted it into my heart that dark souls is an rpg oh it is done it is the god the blood god has spoken thunder lightning 
There was some discourse over on the Discord recently about whether or not we should get together as a community and define the concept of an RPG. And I'm interested. I'm sure a lot of people have very different opinions on this subject, but I kind of feel like there might be a, a point system might work where mm. if you take various elements that you would attach traditionally to an RPG and say, okay, if it has all of these things, it's an RPG. <laughs> if it's missing a few of these things, then it's less on the scale. Like there's a sliding right. scale of RPG. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I think a sliding scale works as well as anything. And Dark Souls, the main thing about Dark Souls is, yes, it is primarily action-based. It's very skill-based. That's the focus of the game. There are a few key elements of the RPG genre that Dark Souls really nails. First of all, you can have an impact on your story and mm -hmm. how the story unfolds. You have a lot of choice in the world, even though even if it's not always obvious in how you interact with NPCs and things that you do. Uh, there's a lot of secrets to uncover. Often there are multiple endings. So Dark Souls has that element, which I think is kind of a key component to a to an RPG. Right. Also, the fact that you can level up your character and come up with like some pretty sophisticated builds. And if you can overlevel your character and have that completely cancel out the action, I think is also another big mark in the fact that it's an RPG. And finally, it's a dungeon crawler, right? So <laughs> it certainly is. I, I, I've been a little obstinate over the years about calling Dark Souls an RPG, mostly because I don't want to talk about Dark Souls all the time. But <laughs> when I was putting together the March Madness bracket, I was like, I should really put Dark Souls on here. Yeah, I mean, it was always one of those things where if someone said it's an RPG, I said, sure. And if someone said it's not an RPG, I said, sure. Fight it amongst yourselves. I was never a humongous Dark Souls fan. I do like it. I do like games that make me use my skills. But when I want to relax with the game, which is most of the time, Dark Souls is not the game I'm going to go to. I really should play Bloodborne, though. I have a question, Nadia. Sure. What do you think about action RPGs? Do you like action RPGs? Do you prefer turn-based RPGs? Do you have any specific thoughts on the genre, subgenre, I guess? I think I have a very soft spot for action RPGs, and that is because when I fell out of RPGs, turn-based RPGs for a while, uh, I got back into RPGs through action RPGs because maybe I felt they were less intimidating. As much as I loved RPGs when I was a kid, I was never extremely good at them. I always would run away from battles and get killed and feel like my progress wasn't going anywhere. So the first action RPG that really made a huge impact on me was Secret of Mana. And I guess I can count Zelda uh, Link to the Past in there as well, but especially Secret of Mana because that has the leveling up, that has the story, that has the, the soundtrack and the characters, the, the stuff that Zelda generally lacks. So that really formed my opinion of action RPGs. As flawed as Secret of Mana is, it's also just an incredible world with really memorable moments. And it was a good, a good action RPG to have as my first to make that impression. And since then, I've always really liked action RPGs. They can be kind of brainless, I admit. But sometimes that's, that's just what I want. I want to travel. I want to explore. I want to hack things up. Uh, that's why I really enjoyed Ease 8 and Ease 9 because it, it's almost as, as action-heavy as a Musou, but not quite. And it still gives you that, that opportunity to explore uh, a big land with characters. It's not like a Musou, which usually confines you into these arenas of sorts. 
So, yeah, I am quite pro-action RPG. I don't know if I'd say I prefer it over turn-based. I think it all depends on my mood, but both are valid in my heart. I think that the advantage that action RPGs have over turn-based RPGs is that they're a lot more accessible. Yes. So people can feel really overwhelmed by turn-based RPGs, but they kind of intuitively click with an action RPG. Yeah, that's what I was saying about how I was kind of intimidated by turn-based RPGs for a while there. And Secret of Mana got me back into RPGs like almost gently because you didn't have the menus or anything like that, but you did have the hit points and the, you had some light RPG elements. And that got me back into the heavier stuff. Like I went straight from Secret of Mana to Final Fantasy VI, which is talk about a glow up. I love them both. but whew. I think what's interesting is kind of the dual evolution of action RPGs, depending uh, on the Japanese side versus the uh, traditional CRPG PC side. So I would say that action RPGs on the Japanese slash console side borrow heavily from either the Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of there are a lot of action RPGs that very firmly resemble the Legend of Zelda, but added a lot of action elements or a lot of RPG elements. Uh, I think Chrysalis might be a good example if I'm not crazy in that regard. <laughs> No, Chrysalis is quite a good example. It's You're right, it's definitely the basis of Legend of Zelda, but you get a little bit deeper and you have your hit points, you have different weapons that work against different enemies, you have leveling up, you have magic, uh, you have an extremely, extremely Miyazaki-inspired world. Holy crap, they don't even try to hide it. That was a great game, though. I should really go ahead and play it on this now that it's on the Switch. I guess you could say that... If it's not taking inspiration from Zelda, it's taking adventure from like an adventure or something like that. But yeah, uh, the original Zelda, Zelda was a Japanese game, so it only makes sense that Japanese games would be taking inspiration from it. There was also, its name escapes me at the moment, but there was even Nintendo had a, that, uh, a series about that ninja or that samurai that was um, very much Zelda. And they didn't bring it over here. Maybe eventually came to the virtual console. I don't remember. But they had that even... Um, Link's Awakening was built on a action RPG called, uh, for the frog, the bell tolled, I think it was called. And, uh, yeah, we never got it, but obviously the two were so similar that they, they shared that DNA. I remember when we were doing the console RPG quests for things like the PC engine and that kind of thing, that there were just seemingly a billion action, top down action RPGs that it was kind of the... The genre du jour, especially for those consoles, and also on the Sega Genesis as well. Yeah. In fact, I think the Turbo PC Engine in particular, sorry, is where the E series really kind of came to its own. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, E's got its start on Japanese PCs, but it was funny because the original E's and E's 2 were like, bump into an enemy <laughs> until they're dead. You bonk, can actually... Bonk, bonk. If you want to, you can play those on mobile. You can play them practically anywhere. Falcom is really good about making its old games accessible to everyone, mostly. That's a, a strange mechanic to go back to after playing Ease 8 or 9. Even a game like Beyond Oasis is basically a top-down kind of Zelda-style game. Yeah, that was a good game. I, did you ever play Beyond Oasis? I didn't, but I'm watching video of it right now. It's very pretty. I remember it really standing out for its it looks. It is gorgeous. Like, the animation... Uh, the, the sprites are really good, um, and there's a certain amount of uh, nuance to the combat, I feel. Like, I'm watching him fight uh, these giant knights and everything, and you have to kind of block and dodge 
while you're handling enemies, you can't just kind of hack and slash them to absolute death. Yeah, I think in Japan, I can't remember if it was a, a reference to Thor or Odin, but the whole Arabian uh, name and style that they tried to push here in the West, that was a that was a localization choice. And I wonder if it was because Aladdin was extremely popular over here at the time. I think early console games were so tied into the arcade genre in many ways that it was just natural that they would want to try and move as much as pot move the needle as much as possible in that particular direction yeah i think so but either way we all benefit i love action rpgs so much final fantasy adventure was an action rpg that was also yeah. top down right it absolutely was final fantasy adventure was the precursor to secret of mana and there's a remake of sorts on mobile and psp that Parrish, I remember, reviewed it. He didn't like it very much, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Over on PC, I think they were a lot stricter about turn-based RPGs, uh, which is why uh, RPG fans kind of threw a fit when Diablo 2 came out, because <laughs> it was not turn-based. It was real-time, a real-time isometric action dungeon crawler. And even as recently as a few years ago, there were RPG people who were in my mentions saying such and such game cannot possibly be an RPG unless it's turn-based. Mm, which isn't really true. I think that it just goes back to, okay, if you are strict in your definition of an RPG, you go back to Dungeons and Dragons, right? Right. Which, came, which evolved from war games. It was a turn-based thing. You roll the damn dice. <laughs> and you have stats. The stats determine things. The second that you start adding in skill and making it into an action RPG, then it's an action game. It's no longer an RPG. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, and even flagship or sorry, not flagship, Blizzard, Blizzard North did not want they wanted a turn based game. They wanted to make a turn based game with Diablo. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. And then Blizzard said, no. <laughs> there will this game will be a real time game because that's our brand, and right. PC gamers from that era would tell you that Blizzard had already corrupted the strategy genre, and now they were coming for the RPG genre <laughs> with their real time shenanigans. Oh, so people were salty about real time strategy games, were they? Oh yes, really? Why? Oh yeah, heck yeah, because there's an entire. There was an entire class of uh, gatekeeping elitists, sorry, mm. uh, at Old Guard magazines like CGW who had come of age in the 80s playing PC games. And they had a very particular idea of what a PC game was. A specific, And they were very, very intense about strategy and RPGs in general, in, in particular. Um, There's actually a columnist going by the name of Scorpia who was like as hardcore of a turn-based RPG supporter as you could possibly get. She was like super into uh, Ultima 4, for example, like was one of her all-time favorite games. And so uh, I think that as, RP as games evolved in the 90s and tried to go more for accessibility, there was a feeling of like, oh, great. Now they're just all going console and they're trying to be arcade games. Grr. <laughs> I want my hardcore PC numbers crunching RPGs. Gosh, darn it. Yeah, there really is nothing new under the sun, is there? When you think about P 
people throwing a fit over Skyrim over being too accessible. Like, it's always just, I understand the temptation to tell kids to get off your lawn, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta share your toys. It's, it's a nice thing to do. By the way, I don't want to besmirch the good name of Scorpia, who is an amazing RPG columnist and was the forerunner of Acts of the Blood God in supporting all things RPGs back in the 80s. Though, alas, she was fired from CGW, apparently, when it was sold to Ziff Davis in 99 and retired from games journalism. Wow, so she was really the old guard, like, old, old guard. Super old guard. Like, makes me look young, and that's, that's older, folks. I wonder what she's up to these days. CGW editor Johnny Wilson described Scorpia as one of the most refreshing people you could ever meet and praised her encyclopedic knowledge of gamers' puzzles. He cited one example where the two clashed the role-playing game Darklands. Scorpio wrote a negative review that criticized the game's bugs, and Wilson attached an editorial sidebar that gave a more positive view. Wilson later acknowledged this was a bad idea, saying that Scorpio's fans correctly criticized him for undercutting her review and overlooking the game's flaws. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I gotta say, the environment, the the sort of atmosphere for games writing was very interesting back then it was growing up with those magazines was was pretty cool it was very dude heavy back extremely in those days. dude heavy holy crap very so to have a, a gal coming in and writing a hardcore rpg column for a hobbyist magazine like cgw is like pretty remarkable for that time and uh time day and age yeah pretty badass you i mean none of the when i grew up with with game magazines i did not grow up with any women writers i was i don't want to say i was the first but i was certainly one of the first in like the online industry to just kind of pop into existence there were others of course but we've been around for a while but we've just been always kind of off on the sides until recently now we're invading you in any case the blood god offers a respective bow to Scorpia, who is certainly one of his greatest disciples. Indeed. Continuing onward, action RPGs. So yeah, Diablo comes out, and it is enormously successful and pretty much inaugurates an entirely new genre and sends RPGs in general on PC spinning off in sort of a new direction that would eventually lead us to our uh, co-op shooter hell shoot looter shooter hell that <laughs> is dominated by games like destiny and division thank you diablo appreciate it that depends who you are i i know lots of uh destiny fans who very much like the game but for a lot of us too it's another case of get off our lawn i suppose so i i know people who enjoy destiny but i think the grind is a little too intense yeah if you're going to give me a looter shooter i'll just go with the original i'll go with diablo I think the problem with a looter shooter is people will tell you that even people who are super invested in Destiny have no idea what the heck is happening in Destiny at any given time because <laughs> it's just it's at this point where like multiple expansions deep and it just feels completely overwhelming. Is it the mechanics or the story or all of it? Well, it's just all the different ways to get weapons and all of the different raids that you can run and all the different currencies and it's kind of crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I can understand how something like that could get a little bit obtuse after a while. You got all these these, these things and threads and just converging into one tangled ball of yarn. So what I will say about action RPGs is that traditionally I haven't liked them very much because especially not the top-down kind of hack-and-slash Zelda style. I find them a little simple for the most part. And a lot of the times games like Illusion of Gaia, which I know I don't think Illusion of Gaia is really an RPG. It's more of a 
kind of a puzzle solving game but a lot of these games focus more on puzzle solving and i don't particularly like puzzle solving yeah games i will agree with you there illusion of gaia i feel like it was really its own thing it was like like soul blazer yeah i'd say it was very close to soul blazer and that it was its own idea with his own story and his own characters and just off to the side quintet doing its quintet stuff terranigma was much more of a traditional uh top-down hacky slashy sort of um action rpg and in any case quintet's games even though they did have puzzles they were sort of minor i agree with you in that i am not a puzzle person over a combat person i am uh, I, I'm kind of squirrel-minded, and I don't want to sit and think sometimes when I play my video games. I mean, Lufia 2, as much as I um, admire its puzzles, I don't can't really say I was a huge fan of sitting there in, in dungeons and solving puzzle after puzzle after puzzle. Likewise, I am also squirrel-minded, Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good de- it's a good descriptor, isn't it? I think that when I'm playing a game like Nier Automata or Kingdom Hearts or that kind of thing with the very fast hack and slash combat, I'm not the biggest fan of that style of combat because it always feels a little bit shallow to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I think Nier Automata had pretty good combat and everything, certainly better than Kingdom Hearts. But by and large, I much prefer a heavier, crunchier, kind of slower-paced tactical combat of a game like Dark Souls Mm -hmm. where... If your character is wearing tons of gear on their back at any given time and has many different options in being able to dispatch enemies and it doesn't feel like you're, you know, a squirrel on cocaine as you're fighting through various enemies. So that's probably also why you like Monster Hunter as well. Yes, yes, uh, for sure. Because I, or or Breath of the Wild, honestly, which is not an action RPG per se, but... I do feel like there is a certain tactical aspect to how you dispatch enemies. Like you have to put some thought into how you deal with each encounter. Yeah. And I think that it is especially true for the really high level enemies. One thing about Breath of the Wild that I criticize it for is that it doesn't have much enemy variety. But when you get face to face with these enemies, you start to notice that a lot of them wield different weapons. The Lionels are a good example your strategy against a Lionel wielding like a giant blade is going to be very different from a Lionel who's wielding um, a, a bow and arrow. So, yeah, there, it's certainly not an encounter that you can just kind of go and swing your sword and go, wee, because you're going to die pretty quickly. One of the problems that the action RPG genre has had in recent years is that it's had a hard time reconciling the numbers aspect of the game like stats and that kind of thing with the skill-based version of the game. And that's been especially apparent in Assassin's Creed, a Mm. game that has traditionally been your standard action-adventure stealth game and has morphed into an RPG in an effort to kind of ape The Witcher. It's kind of caused a split in the fan base between the people who are like, I really like these, uh, the loot and the RPG elements and everything, and the people who are like... I want to be able to stab an enemy in the back and have them die even if they're level 99 (laughs) and I'm like level one because I'm an assassin, damn it. That's what should happen. I'm an assassin and this is my creed. This is what should happen. And they tried to split the difference with Assassin's Creed Odyssey and I'm not, or Valhalla, sorry. Valhalla, yeah. And I'm not sure if they entirely carried it off because it seemed like a lot of people were just kind of like, eh, I wasn't super into Valhalla. It feels like Valhalla was a, I don't know if you know the old Aesop at Legend about the man and the donkey and 
trying to please everyone, you please no one in the end. And that's kind of what happened with uh, Valhalla, I think. Because when you have a, an Assassin's Creed game that Mike says is just very meh and average and kind of uh, doesn't really know what its own identity is, then you know you have an Assassin's game, Assassin's Creed game that has a big problem. As cool as medieval Scandinavia and medieval England can be, it's also a setting that we've been to a lot over the years. And just the aesthetic is immediately comparable to a game like, say, Witcher 3. So it's going to start to feel a little bit samey. And then also the characters weren't particularly interesting at the end of the day. Certainly not compared to, uh, is her name Cassandra from uh, Assassin's Creed yeah, Odyssey? Yeah, Cassandra. Uh, I think Connor is another popular one. Uh, like, yeah, people really felt like those characters were going somewhere, whereas Assassin's Creed Valhalla, they were just like, uh, I want to fight. I'm a Viking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not really get into Valhalla. I think uh, I think it just kind of came and went. I'm sure it has its fans. It was a very low-key release. We are getting quite soon that DLC that's in Celtic Ireland, which, well, that's pretty cool. I've given, I have like blood from that area. That'd be pretty fun to visit, but I don't know if I care enough to play the game. It can be really fun to go into those worlds and feel like there's a lot to explore. Witcher 3 really nailed the concept of these multifaceted side quests that were enjoyable to kind of go through and be able to slowly but surely influence the world. I think that the reason Witcher 3 ended up being so successful is because it leaned into the RPG side of the actual experience more than it did the action side. A lot of people will tell you that the combat of Witcher 3 wasn't that great. <laughs> yeah, I heard it. It was fine. I, I think actually the combat, it, I think the beef against the combat in Witcher 3 is a little overstated, actually. It feels awkward at first, but once you get the parrying down and you get higher level and you get the hang of using the, the various magic items and things like that, it is so much fun to walk into a village and then just go through like a buzzsaw through a <laughs> horde of uh, bandits. It's great. I was going to say, you go through a village and cut every all the citizens down. What are you doing? But no, if there's... if there's Arms uh, flying everywhere, heads <laughs> flying everywhere. It's terrific. If there's bandits, I guess, yeah, they got to be taken care of. And I also like that in Witcher 3, like going back to the tactical aspect of, a, of an action RPG, I really like that you have to put some thought into preparing to fight a monster, for example, which oils you're going to use, uh, which items you are going to favor uh, that might be able to do a significant amount of air, air, area of effect damage, which, by the way, area of effect damage makes such a big difference in an action RPG. It sure does. I mean, uh, not to say Final Fantasy XIV is an action RPG. I guess it is in a way, but yeah, AoE all the way. That, that moment when you can find that one spell that you can keep spamming that takes out an entire crowd of enemies and you just go hey, I'm gonna use it <laughs> you're dead on you yes so Nadia as we look at the action games with RPG elements on the PlayStation 5 that are coming up probably more Assassin's Creed God of War uh, Horizon Forbidden West that kind of thing what would be something that you would like to see out of them how can they continue to improve their experience and enhance their RPG elements if any or should they just Forget about all of that stuff and just do what they do best, and that's be action-adventure games. I'm good with solid action-adventure games. If you give me a game that, again, like Ease 8 and 9, balances that combat and, and gives me a fun world to explore, I'm good. I mean, you don't have to go absolutely nuts. I think people are really trying to outdo themselves with how big they make these worlds, and sometimes it gets ridiculous. 
But on the other hand, I can't really complain because Breath of the Wild is still a game that I boot up once in a while and just explore these corners that I don't remember ever seeing in the first place. And I just still get like such a fun sense of exploration out of all of that. So just give me a, a game that lets me wander, lets me fight, lets me lets me get lost in a really interesting world. Because you brought up a good point with like Assassin's Creed being, oh, well, here comes medieval England once again. And I think maybe one of the things that drew me into Secret of Mana in the first place was that really whimsical, candy-coated-looking setting. The, gra- the, the, the colors just pop right off the screen. They still look fantastic for an SNES game, I think. The bosses are just so big and expressive, and that counted for a lot, I think. And I'm not saying that we should have, like, you know, candy-coated environments everywhere in modern JRPGs. And, hell, maybe we should. I don't know. But... I do want places that are eye-catching, that are interesting, that are soothing. Again, Breath of the Wild being a perfect example. Outside of Nier Automata, what's the best JRPG, action JRPG right now? Is it Ease 8? Um, Ease 8 and 9 are both excellent action RPGs, but I don't know if I'd put them on, like, you know, game of the everything pedestals, because they do have some... They're very B-tier, I think. But they're good B-tier, like... You know mm-hmm. what you're getting into, and it's good. Falcom has always been very good about that. Here's what you're getting into. It's good. You're good. We're all good. Hey, cool. Here's the next one. That's fine. I feel like when you're talking about A-tier, you're really talking about Breath of the Wild, Nier Automata, stuff like that. And I think maybe Breath of the Wild 2 will be the next uh, A-rank action RPG we can look forward to. But that's not an RPG. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Breath of the Wild, the original? Yeah, kind of. There was Trials of Mana that came out last year. That was okay. Again, that was kind of good, more of a B tier. Yeah, but that was a that was actually a very good remake of the original uh, Trials of Mana because the original uh, tri- uh, sprite based Trials of Mana, as, as gorgeous as it looks, it's not extremely fun to play because the action sorry because the battle system has a lot of problems that the remake solved. And like Ease, that was a good solid action RPG that I really enjoyed. Wouldn't mind seeing more of that sort of thing from Square, you know? I think Final Fantasy VII Remake is the best Japanese RPG of the past couple years to be an action game. Yeah, that also gets definitely gets a shout-out. I just wish... The combat is so good. I just wish the dungeons were more exciting. The dungeons aren't great, I agree. They really overstay their welcome, which was a big point that I mentioned a few times, but people kind of shrugged off, unfortunately. Yeah, people seem to be okay with it because your trade-off is, well, here are some really fun characters. Here's a really great setting. I mean, uh, Midgard looks amazing. But when you're in the, you know, in the sewers or whatever, it's just, uh, whatever. Let's, let's get this done with so I can go uh, make Cloud pretty. You could really feel the, the padding in yes. those particular segments where they were going, okay, now flip another switch and flip another switch and go over here and go over there. And it's like, okay... <laughs> I get the point. Like when you're in the lab and toward the end of the game, that dungeon went on forever. I think that's one of the reasons I was really harsh on it initially in my review was because I was under deadline and that dungeon would just not end. Yeah, that was a long ass dungeon. And that started with the Shinra building, if I'm not mistaken, which is a hall in itself. Although... The Shinra building was really interesting. I thought there was some really fun. The Shinra fun building itself was cool. Yeah, like I when think. you go into the, there's a room you go into and you see it starts playing a propaganda video about President Shinra and Barrett's just like, oh, hell no. 
Will you go into the equivalent of Biff's museum from Back to the Future 2, yes. but it's for President Shinra? That's exactly what it was. It was perfect. And Barrett's reaction is just, oh, my God. And not to mention the whole uh, staircase scene, which was classic, of course. I missed that. I was looking for the damn staircase in my review, and I couldn't find it. It's off to the left. So I was I end, I ended up fighting through the parking garage. Oh, that sounds exciting. I liked Final Fantasy VII Remake's combat because there's a surprising amount of depth to how you set up your particular materia combinations and your characters. You can do a lot with your party. I like that. I find that party-based action RPGs can be a little bit clumsy at times, mm-hmm. but I think Final Fantasy VII Remake managed to nail the balance for the most part i liked that every single character was unique and interesting in their own way and i think that just consistently it set up interesting encounters one of the problems that you'll have with your typical action rpg is that you'll get to a boss fight and the boss fight will just be like hack hack slash slash hack hack slash yeah. slash and they're dead okay whereas final fantasy 7 remake the bosses had interesting patterns and really made you think about your setup and how you actually dealt with them in order to take them down. Like Hell yeah. House was a great boss fight. What a great boss fight. Hell House, I see that's the thing. I screwed up Hell House because I didn't have the right materia set or something. I didn't know what I was doing. So that kind of dragged on for me. But it was still a great idea for a battle, I have to say. What a surprise. They did a good job of integrating the summons as well, as I feel. I don't think I ever got the summons. Like I know you were supposed to talk to that weirdo kid. And do his VR simulations, but I just never did those. At a minimum, it gave you uh, Ifrit, I think. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. Sorry, you got Ifrit. Maybe I got Shiva. Of course, yeah. I wanted Bahamut, but I was just like, yeah, screw that. I'm you have to do the kicked. simulations and beat the the summons in order yes. to get them, which is a bummer. It would have been kind of cool if you had if they integrate introduced special side quests where the reward at the end was that you got a summon instead of going into a VR thing. Yeah, that was one thing that disappointed me a little bit because we were just talking about summons and icons and how they've always been an important part of the Final Fantasy lore. And I feel like having them kind of shoved off into a VR sim is a little bit underwhelming, especially since um, I know in Crisis Core, at least, Leviathan is extremely important to Wutai because he's their deity uh, summon. So it's just like, okay, well, here's this god reduced to a, a computer program. You're welcome. To me, the biggest missed opportunity of Final Fantasy VII Remake was that they didn't make a good enough use of Midgar in general. Like, if you're going to use Midgar as your main setting, there should be a lot of interesting side quests that take you to different parts of Midgar, rather than kind of padding out these dungeons, find ways to use the setting to the absolute maximum while telling new stories within it. And Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like they were quite equipped to be able to do that. I actually wonder how much of that was because the game practically had to be started from scratch after everything got screwed up. And I wonder how... I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a resource and time problem. They were probably like... But that's a a planning issue, right? Like, get it right from the start, gosh darn it. (laughs) Yeah. It does make me wonder how two will fare. Who knows? You, when you have Namora at the helm, you never know what you're getting. That's, it's a fun and terrifying situation to be in. Nomura is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, sometimes you get the cherry and sometimes you get the coconut. A lot of games have action. A lot of RPGs have action elements like the Tales series where mm-hmm. you go into kind of a an arena 
and then you're actually fighting monsters within that arena. So it's kind of a hybrid turn-based action-based kind of situation. Yes, I guess when you think about it, Super Mario RPG really started this all, this this uh, combination of the two with the action uh, attacks. And it just sort of blossomed from there. And that's, I feel like Super Mario RPG was one of the most accessible RPGs of the 16-bit era. And that helped get a lot of people on board with the genre. Maybe not as much as Final Fantasy VII, but it certainly helped... And I think the action triggers made people feel a little bit more in control of what was going on, especially since you had Mario in a completely uh, different universe from what you would usually see him in. In the 90s, you had a lot of RPGs that had quote-unquote real-time with pause, which they weren't strictly speaking action RPGs because it was still primarily tactical. The characters would run in and auto-attack and then you could direct spells and that kind of thing. But it did have a strong real-time element, and it spoke to the desire to push out from the pure tactics that defines the early days of RPGs, where you're just picking from menus. The thing was, the thing I've always liked about menu commands, though, like when I'm playing Bravely Default 2, for example, is this feeling of... I don't need to use Twitch skills to be able to get through this game. I can use my brain. Mm-hmm. If I'm smart enough, I can figure this game out. Yeah, I get that feeling with Bravely Default 2 and his boss battles. His trash mobs are just kind of like, whatever, I was brave four times. Oh no, I didn't think this through. It's getting, <laughs> this monster's kicking my ass. I think a key component for a action RPG, maybe even more so than turn-based RPGs, is... I want my character to look cool. Yes. If I'm going to be playing an action RPG, let me have multiple outfits. So like really cool armor, that kind of thing that upgrades as I go through the game and also have my weapon change as I go and just have really cool character designs in general. If I'm not jiving with the character design and my character isn't upgrading and improving as I go, I tend to get bored pretty fast. I want some sense of visual improvement that really enhances the action rpg kind of uh style for me yeah uh, hence again why you're so into monster hunter that whole thing is about glam Mm -hmm. oh yeah i mean that's what it is like that's why i think honestly i think that's why i'm so into bravely default too is the fact if they were just regular four characters who did not change with their classes i would probably not be I would be like 25% less into it. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't be as visually interesting, but because they did such a phenomenal job with the costumes and the, the weapons and everything, I'm just like, I'm in, I love it. You know? Yeah. I'm actually excited to see you play around with Glam and Final Fantasy 14. I also like when they get more and more tools and the tools are hanging off their belts and everything. Yeah. It looks neat. (laughs) You know, people do criticize how, uh, Bravely Default 2 looks, but no, I think that the costumes by itself just makes like a really in- visually interesting game. Assassin's Creed Valhalla does this as well, where they have uh, some really good costumes, I think, and that's why it might click with some people. It's just also kind of a slog of a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One last thing is, if you're going... I, I think that something that Ghost of Tsushima did really well was that they borrowed the multi-tiered side quests from Witcher 3. So different characters had their own quest lines that 
progressed over multiple parts and were broken into bite-sized chunks. And it felt like you were kind of enjoying a saga that was happening parallel to the game. And I thought that was one element of Ghost of Tsushima that was really well done. And I'm, I, th- I see some games borrowing that, but I don't think they necessarily do a great job of it, especially Japanese games. Japanese games rely too heavily on fetch quests still, I think. So that's one way that they can, I think, improve themselves is by looking to Witcher 3 for that. I was actually surprised by Ease 9 because that had some good side quests. There were less of them, but I don't think I ever had a fetch quest. All of them were story-related, and many of them were specifically to build up the characters who traveled with Adol. So I was uh, not expecting that, but I was glad to see it. Have they figured out in Ease how to add like a sense of impact or oomph to the attacks? Because I think that was one of my big problems with both Ease and also uh, Kingdom Hearts, is that I just never felt like I was having enough oomph behind my actual attacks. Have you played 8 or 9? Because they I played some 8, and I, I wasn't really feeling it, but maybe that changed as the game progressed? I don't know. I feel like 9 in particular had a lot of oomph behind it, and that's because you learn sword skills as you progress. And once you start combining those sword skills and dodging attacks like you can in Breath of the Wild and chaining them up, you can have a lot of fun, especially in Ease 9 where you have a zip line and you can zip line yourself right into the enemy's face and, and give them something to think about. It's a little bit of a cheat, but I think a good way to add a sense of oomph is to have one of those little cutscenes where your character is stabbing a, an enemy <laughs> and there's yes. the spurt of blood and everything. And you're like, yeah, look at me. I'm cutting off heads and stabbing people. I'm so violent. Grr. Uh, Ease 9 has those, and so does the Trails games. So, yeah, they do kind of add that anime flair, which is very cliche, but so much fun. So that's kind of our journey through action RPGs to this day. Nadia, do you have any closing thoughts on action RPGs, what you hope to see in the next generation, how the genre can, subgenre can continue to evolve over the, the next generation? Just satisfy my chattering squirrel grain and we'll be friends. What is what satisfies your chattering squirrel brain? Like I said, I like give me a horse. Let me ride the horse. Let me fight enemies on the horse. Let me just swing my sword while I'm on the horse and let me explore every corner of your stupid world and beat up enemies with my sword and I am happy. Give me a bow that explodes. That's pretty cool. Okay, I can I can deal with that. Give me a bow that explodes. Uh, let me be like back in Skyrim where I was the Argonian assassin who just one shot at everyone from a, from the ceiling. That was pretty fun. One of the things that I find so annoying in action adventure games is poorly implemented stealth mechanics. Yes, yes. But I mean, Skyrim's wasn't poorly implemented. It was more broken. <laughs> so, Every action adventure game has to have some kind of freaking stealth element. And it's almost always really bad. Ghost of Tsushima had bad action, had bad stealth elements. That was, yeah, that was a real thing that started with Metal Gear Solid that I wish would stop already. We're done. Please, please stop making me sneak around. Even Ocarina of Time had, I don't know if it was shoehorned in or what the story was, but there was like that weird game where you had to sneak past the guards and in Zelda's castle. Let me kick them in the shins and run. Come on. Backstab mechanics are so, so overplayed and always so overpowered. Yes. They never hear you. You're, you could be like behind them doing a whole pantomime. They don't care. 
the guard is standing there going, oh, how's my day going? Oh, they got the cutscene that automatically kills me. Dang. Yeah, uh, that's it. Oh, life's over. I tell my wife I love her. It'd be kind of fun to play a game where you're one of the guards and the CPU is playing as the sneaky deaky rogue and you're, you have to take advantage of all of the different ways to stop or all the advantages of your castle, right? To be mm-hmm. able to call in guards, set up perimeters, and basically flesh them out into the light. So you would actually be a guard who is a human being with a functioning brain, which is something you don't see yeah. in video games very often. Yeah, as opposed to, oh, what was that shadow over there? I'm going to investigate. Uh, I didn't see anything. I guess everything is fine. I'm just going to sit here and stare at the wall. We're good. Wow, they just took out an entire room full of my buds. But I guess they're gone. <laughs> yeah, they they hear the screaming and from the other room. It's like, what was that? Oh, it was nothing. I hope that they continue to find ways to make these games denser and more interesting. Because I think one of my problems with modern action adventure games that use RPG elements heavily is that they tend to be fairly shallow. Like mm-hmm. when they have a skill tree... Like they'll put in a skill tree and it's the most another one of the most overplayed elements where you unlock a new move or something and it's like cool I guess it doesn't feel like you're making a interesting choice when you're making these particular it's like a very rope progression I think. Yeah. So hopefully I think that's what we both want out of action RPGs and nothing else maybe a little more depth. Curious to see where Final Fantasy 16 goes with all of this. Is more it an RPG? RPG is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, more RPG, less action, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake at least struck the balance pretty well. Yeah. It alleviated a lot of my worst fears. When You'll recall, people who've listened to this older episodes of this show will recall how salty I was about the fact that it was going to be an action game. And so very salty. It, they managed to they managed to kind of turn me around on it. So well done there, Square Enix. Yeah, and I'm hoping that sixteen Final Fantasy sixteen is... Which is looking like an action RPG is something similarly kind of, you know, thoughtful in terms of its battle system. Okay, that those are our thoughts on action RPGs. We'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Leave us a note on our Patreon. Send me an email at cat at bluggotpod.com or talk about it on the Discord and I'm sure we'll see it. Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to our March Madness update, update, update. Wait, update. Okay, Nadia, we are into the sweet 16 of March Madness, and we have some shocking upsets. The first one, we have a number one seed going down, Nadia. It's Knights of the Old Republic defeats Planescape Torment roundly with 60% of the vote. I cannot believe it. Planescape Torment is consistently hailed as one of the greatest RPGs of all time, but I guess lightsabers will always win. Lightsabers always win number one. Number two, I feel like I could be completely wrong about this. This is the impression that I get from the back of my memory. Uh, KOTOR feels like it was more accessible, more culturally significant across the entire gaming landscape versus just PC gamers. I think that it's just more popular and more accessible because it was on console, whereas Planescape Torment was mainly a PC game. Yeah, that definitely, I think that has a big factor in this particular result. Also, again, Jedi lightsabers did extremely strong pull for some people. 
though I think Planescape Torment is actually on Nintendo Switch as well, so... Yeah, a lot of these isometric PC RPGs are finally making the way to Switch, and I really got to find the time to play them because, I mean, God, they're so so significant, and I'm just like... The thing is, Nadia, Planescape Torment is basically a visual novel in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot more about the choices that you make than it is about the combat and that kind of thing. But it has a reputation for moving pretty slowly, so people tend to find it more intimidating versus Knights of the Old Republic, which again, Star Wars, lightsabers. Yeah, yeah, I think one is certainly more accessible than the other, and that showed in these results. Our other West Retro matchup is Baldur's Gate 2 versus Morrowind, and I posted this one as a featured matchup. Nadia and Trent Oster, who worked on Baldur's Gate 2, came in and said, I think you know which way I lean. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Slight bias, but totally understandable. Morrowind, right? Um, yeah. But Baldur's Gate 2 defeats Morrowind with 56.8% mm. of the vote, Nadia. That does surprise me a little bit. We were just talking about accessibility, and I feel like Morrowind was one of the big first 3D console RPGs to really make a splash. But I guess maybe it's faded from memory a bit, and Baldur's Gate, which of course is classic timeless, just took the win. In West Modern, we have another huge upset, Nadia. As of right now, Witcher 3 is losing to Disco Elysium by three votes. Yes, Disco Elysium wow. is beating Witcher 3, 51% to 48%. I cannot believe it. But I guess Disco Elysium is just that good, Nadia. That is certainly a very nerve-wracking setup. I am curious to see which way this goes. Both are just... Huge games in their own right. I would think if I put in, a, I would think that Witcher Three would have come out with more of a margin. But then again, Disco Elysium was the surprise game of what was it, two thousand nineteen, and so it's still surprising us, I guess. It's been a very good bracket for Bioware RPGs, Nadia. Basically, all of them are advancing, and that includes Mass Effect, which roundly beats Undertale with sixty four percent of the vote. Wow. Now, that is a big, big surprise to me. I thought Undertale was going to go all the way. and Really? Did... You thought Undertale was going to be in the finals? Maybe not the finals, but maybe it would have lasted a bit longer. I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe I, maybe I was expecting to lose, to lose, yes, but not quite so roundly. <laughs> maybe, uh, well, just remembering how Undertale made such an impact back when it was first came out. But that was a long time ago in, in internet years. In the East Retro bracket, Chrono Trigger easily defeats Final Fantasy VII with 71% of the vote. Mm, sorry, Cloud. <laughs> sorry, Cloud. Final Fantasy VI, however, is continuing onward, defeating Suikoden II with 72% of the vote. I thought this would be a close one and that Final Fantasy VI had a reasonable chance of losing, but nope. Final Fantasy VI wins easily. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the gif I made for that particular matchup where you have uh, the Simpsons episode where... Uh, you have the man crying at his desk, and you have the woman drinking, and that just that just that's just how I felt when voting between the two it was such a, a hard choice. And if you hurled a gun to my head and said which one is better, I couldn't honestly say because they both have their own merits. And gosh, I'm surprised that Sweden it was a for it was a blowout. I, I thought it'd be closer. 
In the East Modern Bracket, we have yet another number one seed upset. It's an absolute bloodbath for number one seeds. Nadia, mm -hmm. Persona 4 Golden is beating Nier Automata with 52% of the vote to 47% of the vote. Wow. Well, at least that one's a little closer than the other blowouts, so I understand. Hmm, that's an interesting one because Nier was a very significant... It was another one of those RPGs that made a bit of a mainstream splash. Persona 4 Golden, I feel like, didn't really make that mainstream flash, uh, splash, certainly not the way that Persona 5 did. So I'm a little surprised at this. And finally, Nadia, in a result that will surely warm your heart, Dragon Quest Eleven beats Persona 5 Royal 73 votes to 54 votes. That's, uh, I did not see that coming. I thought for sure Dragon Quest would drop off the face of the earth in two seconds flat. Because, especially to Persona 5. I wonder if we had used Persona 5 instead of Royal, if the numbers would have been higher for Persona. But uh, I am very happy to see Dragon Quest Eleven advance because it is just a fantastic RPG that does not get its due. Yeah, Dragon Quest Eleven doesn't get enough, uh, you know, love in many ways, whereas Persona 5 Royal was consistently hailed as one of the best RPGs to come out last year and seems to have had raised, gone up in the esteem of people. So it seems like Dragon Quest Eleven has a real chance, Nadia, of coming out of the East Modern Bracket. I would very much like to see that. Good luck, Dragon Quest. I'm always rooting for you. Go, Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest. Fight for everlasting peace. Fight for everlasting peace. Or kill for everlasting slimes, whatever you do in Dragon Quest. So our Elite Eight is set, Nadia. Our final matchups in West Retro, it is KOTOR versus Baldur's Gate 2. I think Baldur's Gate 2 is going to have this one, Nadia. I think so. I think it's going to be an easy one for Baldur's Gate. In West Modern, we're going to have Disco Elysium versus Mass Effect. I think Disco mm. Elysium has a real chance here. I think it's going to go to Disco. Disco Elysium versus KOTOR is going to be quite interesting, I think. Or Baldur's Gate 2. Baldur's Gate 2 versus Disco Elysium. Hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. That could be a lot of fun in the semifinals, Final Four. Yes. The East Retro, we will have Chrono Trigger versus Final Fantasy VI, the matchup of Ouch. destiny that we have all been waiting for. <laughs> that matchup has been around since I was a practically a toddler on the internet and everyone was fighting Final Fantasy VI versus Chrono Trigger. No, Final Fantasy VI is better. No, Chrono Trigger is lazy. It's a bad game. Oh, man, this is going to bring back some awful memories. I'm going to vote for Final Fantasy VI. Are you? Hmm. I am. I just <sighs> like the, the larger world, uh, the way the way it gets super open-ended. The, the, it has a great, huge cast. I just feel like I have more freedom in many ways in Final Fantasy VI. It's messier in a lot of ways. It's not mm -hmm. as tight as Chrono Trigger, but I... I have a stronger affection for it in my heart. Uh, yeah. No disrespect to Chrono Trigger. I loved that game. An incredible no, game. No, absolutely not. This is another one of those choices where you you die either way. But I would probably have to give it to six. And I, But who is going to take it? I don't know. I feel like maybe Chrono Trigger is going to edge out six just barely. And in East Modern, we will have Dragon Quest Eleven <laughs> versus Persona 4 Golden. Nadia, Ooh. I think Dragon Quest Eleven might do it. I think it could because um, Persona 4 seems to be popular, but not quite as popular as I anticipated. Dragon Quest, I, I think people, 
have a lot of uh, misgivings about Persona 4 Golden a lot of the time, especially the way that it handled, uh, you know, certain storylines about queer characters and mm-hmm. such. So in that sense, Dragon Quest Eleven might be able to advance into the final four as kind of the darling of our Discord. Well, as we all know, Sylvando's the best character. I mean, there's no contest here. Okay, that is our March Madness update, update, update. 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 Please stay tuned to our Twitter feed at Pod or over on our Discord where the voting is actually happening. We are, we've got some exciting matchups to go. I'm really excited to see which game is going to win. It's probably going to be Chrono Trigger. <laughs> I, I am putting my money on Chrono Trigger, but who knows? This has been, there have been surprises along the way and there might be more. I can't imagine a game from the west side of the bracket winning, unfortunately. Uh, I I wouldn't be shocked if Dragon Quest XI comes out. I would like to see that. I mean, as much as, much as I love Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger, I just want Dragon Quest to get something good in its life. Okay, before we wrap up, Nadia, it's letter time. Letter time, it's letter time, it's letter time. We haven't done that in a bit. We haven't done that in a bit, but we got some letters. Because last week we did the Nintendo 3DS console RPG quest and we had a couple of thoughts from our readers. Let me share them with you really quickly. First of all, we have Brian, who says, Really glad to see the love for SMT4 got on the 3DS console RPG quest. It has a killer soundtrack. Just give the main theme a listen sometime. Starts off real ominous, then transitions to a real banger. On the Bravely Default 2 front, I think Nadia's really going to love the Dragoon character, Martha, <laughs> you meet in the game. All Dragoons are valid, so yes. All dragoons are valid. There's no invalid dragoon. Uh, let me think. Nah, they're all pretty good. And Mora Deeb says, "Fantasy Life was a great RPG on the 3DS. My son loved it, and even though he is strictly a Persona Yakuza player now, he still has the game." Not it. Did you play Fantasy Life? I did. I actually, I did not finish it. I can't say I poured a ton of hours into it. But what I did play was actually very charming and extremely ambitious. Maybe a little too ambitious. Maybe I felt like it didn't have enough direction, but. I could see why some people would get lost in it. It was certainly a game where, uh, as its name suggests, you do whatever you want with your life. You can just try all these weird classes and, and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it was a fun little thing. Parrish really enjoyed that. I remember I him it, having yeah. high, praise, high praise for that game. Yeah, it was definitely level five at its, at, during its better moments. I think... The 3DS era was really good to level five for the most part. The DS and the 3DS era, because that was when they were still, they were putting out Yokai Watch, they were putting out the Layton games, that's when they were putting out Nino Kuni. They got the keys to the Gundam franchise briefly. So (laughs) level five was just churning out content, you know? Yeah, and the 3DS, DS era, you're right, was definitely its time to shine. Uh, I would like to see it resurrect itself and become, uh, you know, kind of shine on the Switch or whatever. But just, I would like to see it come back. It's been a tough time for Level 5 of late. Just take a look at its release schedule. It's uh, quite barren recently. Yeah, yeah. I am hoping for a comeback because they had the command of so many great franchises. I feel like they can come back anytime they want. The problem is that they kept creating all these flash-in-the-pan franchises that just never have any staying power because Level 5 is kind of like Activision back in the 2000s where they would just like they would grab onto a thing and then they would just run it into the ground. They did that yeah. with Inazuma 11. They did that with Yokai Watch. And it people just burn out on them, you know? I feel like even Professor Layton was, had a little bit of that problem because uh, did you ever play Unbound Future? Nope. 
I, that was, I was playing Professor Layton when they first came out on the Nintendo DS back in the day. And I was like, well, that was a fun game. And then I was done with it. But I didn't feel really compelled to keep going after that with yeah. the stories and everything. And I sort of feel like a lot of people were like that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, myself included, like it it peaked with Unbound Future, which had a great story uh, with a really sad ending, surprisingly. And it just never really got better from it. It's, it did improve upon itself is what I'm saying. And I, uh, to be fair, I never played the the series with his daughter. And I am mad that they never continued the series with his crazy ass son who's completely out of his mind. I really wanted to see that keep on going, but uh, they didn't. One thing I will say about Fantasy Life, it's quite pretty. I, I like the art style of it. Yes, it's very well suited for the 3DS. It's a very cute, fun game. And um, if they ever want to port it to the Switch, I will be interested. If that's one thing that Level 5 always gets right is the aesthetic. They're very good at the aesthetic. They are. They, re- they nail it almost every time. Okay, everybody. That is our mailbag. If you want to, to contribute to our mailbag, once again, our DMs are open. I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot. And, of course, there's our podcast, Acts of the Blood God. It's on Twitter at bloodgodpod, or you can leave a message over on our mailbag channel over on the Discord, or send me an email at cat at bloodgodpod.com. We'll be back next week, as always, for our 300th episode, which we'll be recording live 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, over on our Discord. It's just $1.00 to be able to get on our Discord and find out all the info there. And you can also take part in our March Madness voting. Until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. We'll be back again, as always, next week. But until then, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.